The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I am very delighted to be back again today. Thank you for joining us. Today is the second um, uh, episode of a topic that I had uh, with my guest, Roz uh, Lindsay. We had so much information to share, we really weren't able to cover it uh, totally in the show. And uh, so we decided we would add a second one and be able to uh, talk there. So the name of the show is uh, COVID-19, Keeping It Safe in Healthcare Team Conversations. So um, basically we're creating and maintaining collaboration in the workplace is what it comes down to. So uh, my guest is uh, Roz Lindsay, and she's from South Australia. She's the owner of the Engage Your Healthcare Leadership and then leader of a Facebook group called We Lead Healthcare. Uh, Roz provides management and leadership education for healthcare leaders to create and sustain effective teams. She is also on a podcast, uh, and the name of that is Engage Your Healthcare Leadership, and that can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. So, Roz, come back in and tell us about yourself a little bit for anybody who missed that first show, uh, just to kind of give them uh, an idea of what your background is and what brought you to what you're doing now. Sure. And thanks again for having me, Leanne. It's really wonderful to be here a second time. Very exciting. So my background is a little unusual. I've spent over 25 years in healthcare or healthcare-related fields. I started out my working life as a veterinary surgeon and spent several years in private practice working in Australia and the United Kingdom before deciding to try out human health and I was fortunate to work in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industries and had wonderful opportunities there in management roles and in leadership roles. When I fell into a training leadership role, it all made sense to me and that was my new path because as a veterinarian, I'd been very interested in animal behaviour and then in human health, I was fascinated by human behaviour and when I fell into training, it really clicked for me that that's where I wanted to be. And about 10 years ago, I set up my own training and development business and worked with all sorts of industries, yet 85 to 90% of my clients were in healthcare because that was my background. Mm -hmm. And recently, I've set up an online business to provide training online, and that's really focusing in on healthcare leaders. So it's an unusual progression to end up in training after having been a veterinary surgeon, yet it all fits together nicely for me, in my mind at least. <laughs> That's my background. <laughs> That's why I'm here today. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you're saying you fell into training because that's kind of how I feel. Um, <clears throat> I got into training too, sort of fell fell into it and it just seemed to work. Um, so when we were last talking on the first episode, uh, we covered quite a bit of ground actually. And um, one of the first things we talked about was how we would describe a great manager, a great leader. And as I remember, we talked about that that manager would be uh, very knowledgeable about their, their team's strengths and their challenges. So not just the team as a whole, but the individuals and how to utilize each member to their best abilities and uh, to be there to push obstacles out of the way so that those that their uh, uh, team members can do their own best work without having to worry about all of the encumberments that come along uh, when you're working, especially in healthcare and especially during a crisis. Um, so tell me, tell me what you're thinking about as far as great manager, great leader that I'm not remembering. I think you've summarized it really nicely. One, one of the things that we 
did speak about quite a lot was that, as you mentioned, understanding the individuals within your team. And I think building on that concept, we were discussing the importance of empathy and support. And mm-hmm. I think we talked a little bit about sometimes managers, particularly in healthcare, think, oh, we don't need to worry about that. That's all the fluffy you know, stuff. Yes. We don't need to do that. <laughs> and often managers coming up through healthcare learn from those who come before them and they often see that as a manager I need to be firm and strict and hard and Mm -hmm. harsh and serious and we started to touch on the fact that that probably doesn't get the best out of people and doesn't get the best out of your team and we need to tailor the way we interact with each of those team members to really support them and the fact that empathy is actually one of those skills that will be important going into the future the people skills side of things understanding different personalities and the fact that it's okay to have differences as well as similarities in our team Mm -hmm. and the leader's ability to adapt to that and to not necessarily have to be hard and harsh and Mm -hmm. negative toward their teams. I think that that's certainly an area that we need to think about and, you know, maybe we can explore a bit more today as well. Yeah, and actually I think that people don't realise that it's actually better to have a more diverse team and people that look at things differently because otherwise if everybody, and I think that um, authoritarian manager is the type that pulls everybody, oh, you have to behave like me, you have to think like me. So that creates um, a disconnect for the employees where they literally have to stop thinking the way they think and think through the manager's mind in order to be able to be accepted in the team. And what you end up with is groupthink where everybody is saying exactly the same thing. Uh, Nobody is questioning. And if you're in a situation where your group is coming up with information or for a plan that's going to be rolled out to a larger group of people, you do that rollout and all of a sudden everybody is saying, well, why didn't you think about this? And how come you didn't address that? And it's like, we never thought of it. (laughs) You have to have the people with the different ideas to be able to have those thoughts and ideas come up in the group while they're planning. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. And it's interesting because people might think that in a crisis, oh, well, we we don't have time to take in other people's opinions. You know, we're acting on the spur of the moment. Well, a great leader, even on the spur of the moment, can take five seconds, five minutes to just pause Mm -hmm. and breathe. And I think in some respects in a crisis, it's even more important not to have group think because Mm -hmm. we want the group working toward a shared purpose, yet we don't want to ignore really important information. And as we know with COVID-19, the amount of information, it's changing, it's um, coming from all different sources. And we need to make sure that we're taking in the right amount of information, that we're making really well-founded decisions and we're not just acting without thinking different ways so it it's a balancing act in a crisis because we have mm-hmm. to move quickly yet we also need to be able to take in those extra ideas I couldn't agree more with you about that group yeah. think we don't want group think like that no. and uh, one of the things that we talked about I think last time also uh, was the idea you don't start developing a collaborative team in the crisis you have to be developing that a long time before that. Mm -hmm. And as each new person comes into the team, as each person leaves the team, the team is a different group. And I think a lot of times those people who have been in the team for the longest period of time don't want change. So as somebody new comes in, the idea is you have to become like us and um, we don't want to change to accommodate you. And that's when you lose again, where you're um, perhaps this person coming in is bringing some, some gifts that nobody else has had in the team before. And it can be just a, a great pleasure and a great addition. Uh, so we have to stay open to that. Absolutely. We, we did talk about that a little bit, didn't we? Because we talked yeah. about mm-hmm. the threat state and the brain and what happens in the in the threat state. And maybe just in case people are not familiar with what we discussed in the first part, maybe I'll just touch on that really briefly. Would that be a good great, good great idea? Do? I think this is a good place for that. Great, fantastic. So we, we think about the brain and we think about what the brain is designed to do. And the brain ultimately is designed to keep us safe, keep us alive, really. And it's a really clever, clever organ. And how it keeps us safe is 
it comes down to the basics of scanning the environment and looking for things that might hurt us or things that might help us. So it's looking for, it's a concept called threat versus reward. And ultimately it wants to protect us from threats. It wants the rewards, the food and the shelter, yet it's food and shelter is um, no good to us if you know there's a life-threatening situation happening. So it is geared to look for threats. And this is an interesting concept because humans ultimately have a negativity bias and we have to work hard to overcome that. And I'll come to that in a moment. But as we're scanning the environment looking for threat, the brain will actually pick up whether something is a threat and determine it's a threat within a fifth of a second. So it's happening in a non-conscious level for us because it happens and gets us to respond before our logical thinking brain has a chance to catch up. And this is a great thing if, for instance, there's a fire and <laughs> I need to, sc- I scream to you, fire, fire. And people will get up out of their chairs and they'll run out the door before they even stop and think, oh, is this a fire drill or is this really right. a fire or is it a big fire? Because mm-hmm. the brain is designed to act that quickly. So it picks up a threat, fifth of a second and it triggers that fight or flight or freeze response. Now, that's wonderful in a fire or in other life-threatening situations, but as we discussed last time, the brain is also picking up threat in the workplace. And most things that are happening in the workplace are not life-threatening. And so if we're operating on that quick, instantaneous fight or flight emotional response, to something in the workplace that is not life-threatening, sometimes that plays out in actions or behaviours that are actually not helpful. So the types of things that might trigger a threat in the workplace, as you've mentioned, a new team member. So the brain, when it picks up another new human being in its environment, its first default is that that person could be an enemy, Mm -hmm. it could be a threat. Mm -hmm. Now, Thankfully, many of us, as you've identified, understand that new people can be exciting opportunities. They could be a potential new friend. They're a wonderful colleague who may bring great experience. Yet we also see, and particularly I see this in healthcare, and I'm sure you have too, that some people keep that threat state with that new person for a very long time. And they're often not even conscious of where that has come from. They've not understood that they've seen them as a threat because their brain's trying to keep them safe. They just Mm -hmm. hang on to that negativity bias about that person. And that's a really sad thing and it doesn't create, you know, great teams. And as you said, we need to have those teams before the crisis. I need to have a collaborative team before the crisis. That's just one thing, of course, that can cause a threat Mm -hmm. state. There are many other things, change and uncertainty, which obviously is happening at the moment. So everyone's operating on high threat levels potentially at the moment. So that's something for leaders to bear in mind as well. Yeah. Um, We are um, about three minutes away for a break, but what I was thinking is we had left people in the last episode to think about uh, what's working for you as a manager. Um, If you're not a manager, maybe you want to think about it from the standpoint of what's working for me as an employee or a team member. Um, what's not working so well? Are there things that seem to be uh, not working well? And I noticed uh, until more recently when I began to realize that many times things I am seeing as being somebody else is doing something wrong, I realize now uh, as I learned a little bit more about it is that they may be reacting to something I'm doing that is not particularly helpful. So knowing that about yourself and being able to look at that and say, okay, am I seeing a reflection or is this something that's really coming from that individual? And then uh, what what might be creating that threat state for others? And um, so I'd like to come back to this when we get done with the break and uh, start kind of talking about um, those types of things. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And today we are talking about COVID-19, keeping it safe in healthcare team conversations. And then my guest is Roz Lindsay from South Australia, and she is the owner of Engage Your Healthcare Leadership. We'll be back in just a couple minutes.
love what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and we're on a second conversation regarding COVID-19, keeping it safe in healthcare team conversations. And my guest is Roz Lindsay from South Australia. She is the owner of Engage Your Healthcare Leadership. And we have been talking about all kinds of things. You know, it's it's one of those interesting things when you meet somebody from clear across the world and you feel like you've known each other for a very long time. That's kind of how I'm feeling about Roz right now. So what we had asked or said that we were going to talk about here on this side of the commercial was um, what's working for you as a manager, as a team member, and what's not working so well for you? And then where might you yourself be creating a threat state for others? So Roz, do you want to pick up on that? Absolutely. Thank you. So what I might do is give some examples, just fairly broad examples of creating a threat state for others if we're a manager and leader. And then I might dive into some even more specific aspects to that. But let's start with some of the things, and this is by no means comprehensive, but some of the things that in my time working with healthcare managers and leaders, I have seen that that's flowed on to cause a threat state in other people. And I will start with something that is so simple and it's calling yourself the boss. Ah. And often it's not necessarily what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. So I'm the boss, you need to do this. I'm the boss here, you need to follow my directions. I'm in charge. And I see this a lot in healthcare and a lot particularly in a hospital setting as well. And I understand where it comes from because sometimes when we're dealing with an emergency, we do need to obviously have someone who's in charge and giving direction. Yet that often plays out in times where we don't need that. We don't need someone saying, yes, I'm in charge here because pretty much people know you're the boss, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, it's an interesting one because I think people don't think about it. And again, it's not always what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. So Mm -hmm. I'm the boss, I'm in charge because people like to have a sense of autonomy in their life and that flows into the workplace. And I know that that will probably, me saying that might cause a potential threat state in people who are bosses and managers. And that's a good thing to reflect on because having your team have some level of autonomy in their work is not a threat to you. It doesn't have to be a threat to you. It actually is a good thing for you because it's enabling them to make some decisions. You don't always have to be the problem solver. It's enabling you to have a team who are innovative, who take some initiative, who step up and work hard. 
So it doesn't need to be a negative to have some autonomy and you can set some boundaries and expectations around that. So you can actually have some limitations to that. But giving people a sense of autonomy is important. So it flows on, we can cause a threat state where we don't allow our team to have a voice, where we don't allow them to bring their opinion forward. Now, if we have them bring their opinion forward, it doesn't mean that because they say we need to do something a particular way that we as a manager agree with them. We don't have to. It's just giving them the opportunity to raise concerns and feel safe to do so, feel like you're not going to negatively impact their self-esteem and make them feel silly. Because sometimes what we also see in healthcare teams is a person will raise a concern or put forward an opinion and their manager will say, oh, that's a silly idea. Mm -hmm. And again, that is causing a threat state in someone because you're impacting negatively their self-esteem. They see you as putting them down, humiliating them, being condescending potentially. I, I also... And not just yeah. that person, but all of the other people who are listening because they're saying, oh boy, I better watch myself because I sure don't want to be called out in, in this kind of a situation with everybody listening. You are so right. And what you're doing there is long term, if you continue to do that and have that impact, not just as you say on one person, but that flow on effect to the rest of the team, what you're doing is you're totally changing the culture of the team. And if a team as a whole is fearful, let alone just one person, then they won't work effectively together. There'll be right. no, no trust. And mm -hmm. it's not, you're not going to get the best out of your team. You, you're really not. Um, so we need to allow others to have a voice. The other thing that I see in healthcare, and it makes me quite sad, and I'm actually seeing a lot of it during COVID-19, is complaining about patients. Mm. And this is coming from individuals. It's also coming from managers and leaders where I see this. I understand where it comes from. I've worked in private practice. I know it's in animal health, but similar mm -hmm. situations that we have with Patients, complaining about patients, what I hear and what I see sometimes is, oh, they, they're stupid. Why aren't they following the rules? Why are they walking past that stop sign? Mm -hmm. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And as a manager and leader, if we're doing that, then our team accept that, okay, well, if I'm to fit in here, I need to behave like that and I need to think patients are stupid. I need to mm -hmm. think patients don't know what they're doing. And it's quite sad because at the end of the day, aren't we all patients and we're yeah. all humans and patients are not doing the wrong thing generally because they want to make your life difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, generally speaking, I'd say probably 99% of the time, patients don't get up in the morning and say, how can I make this nurse angry? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that we need to be cautious of. And it may not be the obvious one that comes to mind when we talk about creating a threat state, but thinking through how do you talk about patients or how do you talk about your team members? How do you talk about your senior leaders? Because anytime mm -hmm. we're being negative, we're complaining and, and we, we create that culture where we're going to always think the worst of people and thinking the worst of people is not going to get the best out of them. Mm -hmm. It's not, and it, it's not a nice way to live. It's it's understandable in a busy, hectic environment where perhaps patients aren't doing what you're asking them to do. But we, if we can stop and reflect and say, well, how can I influence that situation? What have I missed here? Have my messages been unclear? Um, and also recognising that at the moment in particular, but at other times, patients are also potentially in a threat state themselves. Times are uncertain. Right. Certainty, mm -hmm. not knowing what's going on. That is a very anxiety-inducing state to be in. And we're fortunate in healthcare, we have a bit of medical knowledge to better understand what's going on. Yet patients who don't even have that, of course they're going to be fearful. So they're not going to listen to our instructions because they're operating at that emotional state as, we, right, as we've talked more, about. More a child state than they are at an adult state in that moment. But even with this COVID, um, we don't know what's going on. So uh, when you are the patient and you know that the caregivers don't know what's, what's happening and they're sort of trying this and trying that, it certainly ups your, the ante. 
um, if you're coming in for surgery that this group of people have done a thousand times and they say, no problem, this will be just fine. You'll be so amazed how, you know, and they're so confident. But when you've got people that are not confident about their knowledge and, and, and their tools to be able to use to help you, that comes across too. Oh, absolutely. That's and that's the thing. We we don't know everything. You're quite right that's happening with COVID because things are changing all the time. We're learning more. It's a new virus, obviously. So absolutely what you're saying, that that lack of confidence actually has a ripple effect. So human brains are designed very cleverly to pick up anything that's a bit unusual. So mm-hmm. If you see your doctor or your nurse looking nervous and uncertain and not confident, absolutely you'll pick that up. Whether you're conscious of that or not, your brain actually detects it, which increases your threat level. So there are so many things in that interaction that can raise and raise and raise the threat level for the other person, whether that's a team member or or whether that's a patient. And once that threat level starts to rise, as we said last week, our logical decision-making productive brain is not able to operate at its peak because it doesn't have the resources it needs the oxygen and glucose is being used and used up by that emotional center in the brain Mm -hmm. by the amygdala because it's getting the body ready to run away to fight or to freeze until that threat passes so we need to be thinking about this it's not the soft fluffy stuff this is actually science Mm mm-hmm And that's a big part of it, too, is to be able to trust the science. Um, I think we have an advantage now. I think about like the 1918 um, Spanish flu. Um, We have so much more understanding of bacteria and um, all of those kinds of things that that group of people, you know, even in their best meaning uh, efforts did not know. So I think that we really do need to listen to those people who study that and work with it and do understand it, what they're saying needs to happen. Um, For us to say, I don't like that idea. I think I'm (laughs) going to come up with a whole different plan and go this other direction. That's a great way to get into trouble. Absolutely. It's it's a fascinating topic, actually. You know, we, we start off talking about one thing and we move into another thing because the brain is obviously covering (laughs) every single facet of our life and including our working life so it's really really interesting I think I think one of the interesting things that I think about in healthcare and this is applicable whether we're talking COVID-19 or whether we're talking just every day at at the office Mm -hmm. the the impact where we're starting to talk before about negative mood or you know complaining about patients or you know perhaps not having great interaction amongst the team or from the manager to the team the interesting thing is what is the flow and effect there to the patient care that we're providing and I think this is a really important thing for us to think about um, in the nursing world and across healthcare. In January of this year, there was an article published in one of our local newspapers here in Australia, and it was talking about a study where they had a patient simulation and they had a multidisciplinary team working on uh, an acute presentation of a child. And it was a simulation that all turned out well in the end. What they discovered, though, was that even mild rudeness to each other amongst Uh, that team. Yes negatively impacted the care and the patient states deteriorated from that mild rudeness. And I found this quite a fascinating thing to reflect on because I do work with teams who are a bit dysfunctional in healthcare. That's my job. That's what I do. And hopefully we turn that around. Yet we're talking about, oh, I don't like working with this person. I don't like working with that person. Patients are silly. But at the end of the day, we're actually there to deliver patient care. And that negative mood or that mild rudeness can have a big impact on patient care. And it was interesting, this study, because, you know, they were able to prove it. And what was interesting too was that it was only mild rudeness. It wasn't bullying. It wasn't high-level conflict. It was just being Mm -hmm. mildly rude to each other. Um, And I find that a fascinating ripple effect in how we actually work with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And then if you imagine that there are people who are being greatly rude and swearing and using language that is not professional 
and things like that, you can see where that just multiplies um, the, the um, stress level. I think often of uh, operating rooms because mm -hmm. they're so notorious for kind of bad behavior. Yes. Um, and, and so that comes to mind. Oftentimes it seems like it's the doctor that uh, is, is kind of pushing his weight around. But I always wondered about that because what I realized is that every other person who could be your eyes and ears and save you from a bad situation are backing off. And so you are basically giving the impression that you're the only one who knows anything here. And so you become the only person who has to see and hear and know everything, or you can end up with a really bad situation. Um, and nobody's going to necessarily pipe up and say, by the way, you, you have a bleeder here, or, by the way, this heart rate is not good. Absolutely. It's that multiplying effect, exactly as you yeah. say it. Mm. I didn't think about you being a surgeon, but um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure you were never that way. <laughs> no, well, look, to be honest, I think to, to be fair, um, it's a stressful environment. And I don't believe that I was ever rude, but there were times if I reflect back early on in my career where I felt my stress levels increase and I'm sure mm -hmm. that I was a bit more direct, perhaps a bit harsher with some of my words because I was stressed. Mm -hmm. I was a new graduate trying to do a surgery in an emergency situation. So I think it is good to reflect reflect on that um, right. and understand what impact that might have because we're not perfect as human beings and we're all learning mm -hmm. and growing. So Mm, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting concept to think about patient care and and that what we're doing there in in how we interact with each other. Yeah, we are up against another break, and I think this might be a good place for us to stop. And we will be back in just a little bit. So, this is uh, once a nurse, always a nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. We're talking about COVID nineteen keeping it safe in healthcare team conversations. And my guest is Roz Lindsay from South Australia. She works with healthcare leadership and healthcare teams to uh, be able to operate at their best level. We will be back in just a couple minutes. what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn womeninhealthcare.org a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at once a nurse it is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today through healthcare education professional development mentorship community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And this is Leanne Meyer. We are talking with Roz Lindsay from South Australia, and she has a, um, a personal consulting business that she works with uh, healthcare leadership and teams to be their best. 
And so we're talking about keeping it safe in healthcare team conversations, but also we're obviously uh, broadening that. So Roz, um, let's talk a little bit about, and we've kind of been talking about it, but maybe a little bit more. Uh, what are the benefits to, um, to start creating safety in a uh, healthcare environment? Mm, sure. Look, there are a lot of benefits. One of the things that I'd say to managers and leaders when they're thinking about this is, let's think about what outcome we're looking for in our team. And you might be looking for your team to change their behaviour in a certain way, maybe be more effective around mm -hmm. something. You might be looking for patients to change their behaviour and be more effective <laughs> in yeah. managing their chronic illness, for example. That could be a long wait. <laughs> it could be. It could be. So anytime we're looking for behaviour change, creating safety, psychological mm -hmm. safety in the other person is actually a crucial element mm -hmm. because if that other person feels comfortable to discuss the current challenge or situation. They are therefore more open to your guidance to move in a different direction because they're feeling confident and comfortable. They can raise issues and concerns and they won't be condescended to, for example. They also are able to hear your messages because they're not operating with that emotional brain. And when we talked about the emotional brain taking resources from our logical thinking parts of our brain, if they're having the resources available to that logical brain, they actually can take in information and process it in a logical mm -hmm. fashion. So they're much more likely to hear your message, much more likely to process it well and much more likely to act on it. So I think the benefits start with behaviour change and that flows on into changing the culture of the team, the way the team interacts, the collaboration that they can have, the trust that they're building, which ultimately flows on to the results that they're getting. And if you're a manager and leader, you also want results. That's what you're there to do. So there are positives in it for you. And ultimately it's creating a better situation for motivation and morale in the team. It's a better place to work. You're going to retain good people and get good results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of times people will say that if it's not a comfortable um, uh, place to work and to be, I mean, you're spending so much time of your life there that those who are really good can leave and those who are not good will stay. So you end up, you're pushing out the good people and you're, the people that are, are remaining are the people that maybe are not as talented, um, not as, uh, um, I don't know what different terms it would be, but um, you wanna keep all of your stars. You wanna keep everybody because each of them provides something that the others don't. Absolutely, that's the thing. And it costs a lot of money to recruit staff as it well. Does. So if you're financially minded, so we can find a benefit no matter what is important to you, we can find a benefit. It really is an important thing for us to think about. The other thing that people often don't think about is that if you treat your staff well, even when that person leaves to maybe go to a um, better position for themselves, they will tell their friends and they will often do the recruiting you want to come and work with this manager because they will give you, this manager will give you opportunity to grow and develop and lots of uh, encouragement. And so you find yourself having less hard of a time to recruit new people because the people leaving are actually recruiting for you. Absolutely. Definitely. I couldn't agree with you more. So let's talk about how do we start? If you're a manager and you want to change how things have been, where do you start? Sure. There are three big elements that I think managers need to start to work on. And I'll mention those, but then I'm going to dive into a little bit more detail around a couple of really practical things. So the three big elements that I always recommend people start to think about in this area, team trust. So creating different opportunities to build team trust. We're not going to go into that in too much detail today, but it's certainly something that we need to really focus on, helping our team to trust each other, trust you and trust the other people that they may work with outside the team. The second thing is minimising threat levels, which we've been mainly focusing on over the course of these two discussions. So I'll come back to that one. And then the third thing is emotional and social intelligence skills. So building our ability to 
be aware of emotions in ourselves and others, be able to express ourselves around those emotions, be able to manage them so that we can think logically and make great decisions when emotions are involved. And part of that is stress management as well. So let's come back to minimising threat levels because there are three fairly practical things I can run through in a relatively short period of time. And the last one is where I'll probably spend most time. So the first thing to think about in minimising threat levels is your mindset. So start with yourself first. Because as we mentioned, if we're always going into a situation thinking the worst in other people, then we're not in the right frame of mind ourselves because we're operating in a threat state and we'll always see the negative. And that's not going to be productive in building a connection and getting the best out of their person. So asking yourself, what's my intent here? What are my thoughts or feelings about that person? And how might that impact our interaction. So starting to challenge your thinking around that. There's a lot behind changing mindset. And again, I won't spend too much time on that, but it's definitely starting with yourself first. The second thing is, again, starting with yourself, what sort of language are you using? And are you allowing in your team as well? So thinking through in these challenging situations, what words are unhelpful here? And it will depend on the situation that you're in, the words that are what I call the trigger words that can be a threat state for people. So sometimes it's using that uh, catastrophizing language or that Mm -hmm. overgeneralization, such as patients are always stupid or she always does this when you're changing over at a shift, Um, always and um, can actually be where where we're thinking that something is always bad, then that sort of language may not be useful so thinking through some of those unhelpful words sometimes the word you if you're saying you didn't do this just the word you can trigger a threat state so instead of you didn't do this saying things like I'm concerned about what's happening here so thinking through how you phrase things is really important If I move on to the third element, again, there's a lot I could talk about here, but I wanted to spend most time on the third element to minimise threat levels, which is using what I call a care approach. And care is simply a framework that I developed as part of my training and development business to help managers and leaders understand what others in their team and what they themselves need to feel safe in terms of psychological safety. And all of the things that form up this framework are important to each of us, yet for some people, one or two might be more important than others. And it's just a reminder as we're talking and interacting with people, what we need to focus on to help them feel safe, to help minimise that emotional state threat level they might be in, to be able to de-escalate that and to be able to influence the situation for a positive outcome. So the care approach Care, C-A-R-E, C stands for choice. People need choice. People want to feel that they have some choice, they have some involvement in what's happening around them. People want to feel that there's some autonomy in what they're doing, which I mentioned earlier on as well. And often it's just a perceived choice. It may not be that they have a lot of choice in a particular situation. And sometimes the choice might just be choosing the attitude that you bring to a challenging situation and helping others to see that and helping yourself to see that will help reduce that threat state. There'll be other situations, though, where there is a lot of choice. And so asking people, what options do we have here? As soon as we ask someone a question, their logical part of their brain can't help But listen in because the logic side of our brain wants to actually answer that question. And so by doing that, by kicking in that logical thinking parts of our brain, we're reducing the threat level that's coming and being generated from the amygdala. So that's choice. That's C. The next is A, assurance. People want to feel that you are supporting them through whatever is happening. They want to feel that you have the ability to provide them with the resources or, for instance, the training, whatever they need to get to whatever the outcome is, that you're going to support them and you're going to provide them with what they need. So that's assurance. R is respect. People want to feel respected. They want to feel like you respect them. 
They want to feel like they can trust you, that you're not going to have a negative impact on their self-esteem. You're not going to make them feel silly, that you will listen to their opinion, that you will genuinely understand what they're saying. You'll take that time to listen. You may not necessarily agree with them, yet you're giving them the opportunity to speak up. You're showing them the respect. Just because you're a boss doesn't mean that you have all the answers. And then E, the E part to care is empathy. So it's expressing and showing that you empathise with someone's situation. I understand that this may be challenging. I understand that things are uncertain. Showing that empathy, it, again, it doesn't mean that you have to take on the burden of someone else's emotions. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with their concerns or their issues or their frustrations. It's just saying, hey, I get it. I hear what you're saying. I understand. I'm sorry that you feel that way. It's using that type of words and language, which for some people, particularly in a high-paced, high-pressure healthcare environment, that might sound again, oh, goodness, do I really have to do that? Well, if you want to create that psychological safety for the other person, yes, because it's important for their brain to feel safe, to take in the information you're giving them and to act on it. So that's the care approach. I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking. <laughs> so feel free to jump in if you have any questions around that. What, what occurred to me, and it's partly because of some of the things that I'm hearing from nurses during this time of COVID, is that um, some of their managers or administration are operating out of fear. And so making um, statements that are, are really... Uh, destructive to mm. the individual to the even up to and including that you know you do this uh which it goes completely against nursing policy or you know uh what we know is supposed to be done uh if you uh do this then you're fired mm. so then it comes to your not only your personal or emotional safety but literally uh, to have a job, to have financial income during this time period when we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so it becomes a tremendous threat. And then you're constantly watching your back. Where is that person? Are they watching me? Or, you know, um, do I do what I know is right to do as a nurse? Or do I do what this person told me to do? Absolutely. It's, and it's that escalation we talked of before. Each of these things, you know, the, the financial threat, they're adding and adding and adding to the emotion. If you're looking behind yourself to, you know, you're worried about someone watching what you're doing. And if, if you also have a really strong ethic around the process in a particular situation, mm -hmm. you're not getting the assurance you need that people are sticking to the right thing, you know, the right values or the right ethics, whatever that might be, you're never going to be, well, you're unlikely to be bringing your best self to the table, to the job. And it's a real shame because managers and leaders are creating or adding to that threat state for you and they're not helping you do the best possible job. So although things are uncertain and there may be some financial um, impact and, and job impact, we need to think carefully about how we communicate that. Again, it's not always what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. And mm -hmm. thinking through, okay, if there is a potential for job loss, you can actually present that to people in a way that is less threatening. Um, but, but we often don't in these situations, high, right. high threat levels, because managers are on high threat level themselves as well. Right. Um, we are down to just a few minutes here left to the end of the show. Um, in just a couple of minutes, what, what would you like to summarize or what's the most important thing that you want everyone to get and take away? For me, it would be understanding that the way we respond in a challenging situation is not always coming from a logical place. It's often driven by a high level of emotion and that that is a normal human process. The critical thing as managers and leaders from that is to monitor and manage our own emotion and try and reduce that threat level for ourselves, and to do so for others, to influence the environment for others so that you can get the best out of your team in these challenging times and that we can come through it 
in a reasonable position and have reasonable results, no matter how challenging it is. So remembering that it's a normal human process, yet we can do things to influence that for ourselves and others. Absolutely. Very well said. Thank you. As you were talking, even through this this whole last segment, I was thinking in terms of this is a lot about um, maturity, and that can be individual maturity and leadership maturity, um, knowing your craft better, um, uh, understanding uh, more about what you're doing, not having to be thinking about every little thing you're doing or each procedure because you those just come like naturally. Um, but uh, being able to do all of this comes after a long time of doing the hard work of learning, of um, teaching other people, of uh, developing yourself, maybe doing things that, realizing things about yourself that are not so pleasant. But for me, that's kind of um, what you were saying too, is that the real core of how uh, collaborative your, your interactions can be start with yourself, which the good news of that is you're really the only person you can change anyway. So if you start with yourself, you will influence other people, not everybody perhaps, but you will influence some other people to start to be their best self. And as that starts to happen, it, it becomes a culture, um, not only in your department or unit, but eventually it becomes a culture within the whole organization. And that becomes a positive for not only the people working there, but for the staff also. And I think sometimes we forget how much that that patient really is aware of what's going on around them more than we probably realize. Um, so that's, that patient is not there to take care of us. We really are there to take care of them. Um, so this is the end of a wonderful show, actually two shows, and I hope that everybody is able to listen to both. This has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. The name of this show has been COVID-19, Keeping It Safe in Healthcare Team Conversations. And my guest, wonderful guest, Roz Lindsay from South Australia. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.